Welcome to the Citizens Youth Sermon Podcast. We are a ministry of Northwest Gospel Church and a community of students who are learning to live for Jesus. We meet every Wednesday at 7 p.m. To find out more, visit nwgospel.com slash citizens. All right, all right, citizens, how are we doing tonight? Let's go. Good to be with you guys today, tonight, this afternoon. Open up your Bible to Psalm 133. 133. We are in the last week of our summer in the Psalms. We were in Hebrews at the beginning of the year. And then we stayed in Hebrews, and then we were in Hebrews, and then we stayed in Hebrews, and we were in Hebrews for like 13 weeks, and then we got out of it, and we've been in the Psalms recently. Guys, I've been getting ready for our next series in the fall, and I'll tell you what it is in just a little bit, but I'm really excited for it. It's going to be awesome. We're going back into the Old Testament, figure out some stuff from the Old Testament. It's really cool, one of the prophets. Um, There's so much packed into there that is not just the Old Testament prophecies we read at Christmas time. Like, we all know, like, the Isaiah ones where it's like, oh, that's about Jesus. There's more, okay? I promise. There's a lot more to the Old Testament. It's very cool. Gonna be that in the fall. Um, but this is the last week in uh, Psalm, Summer of Psalms. And um, man, we had such great teachers this summer. I was really thankful for um, Garrett and Will and just how they led in those weeks. And, and Michael Spencer, they did a really good job in leading in some of the Psalms. And um, yeah, I'm really excited for it. Okay, so I get in trouble all the time because I do a really bad thing where I don't talk about a lot of details of my life, I realize, in, in, like, in like certain parts of my life. Like some people uh, like didn't know this one key fact in my life. And I've mentioned it on the stage before, so you guys probably do. Um, I meet a lot of people and I get to know them and like months will go by and they don't realize that I have three younger siblings. I'm the oldest of four. And it's happened before. I've known someone for like almost a year and I'll say something like, oh, I'm going to go see my family. My sister's graduating. They're like, you have sisters? I'm like, I have two sisters and a brother. And they're like, so I don't know if you're bad at this, but I'm bad at this. So I wanted to introduce you to my siblings this is me on the right, um, obviously, because you know who I am. But this is my family. This is in North Carolina um, at my sister Ellie's graduation. She's the one wearing the graduation gown. It makes sense, right? It's all coming together. And uh, we're a family. This is the Soisman family. Um, me, I'm the oldest. My sister Emma's in the pink dress. She's the second. Uh, Ellie's the third. And then my brother Owen could be in this ministry if he lived on this side of the country, which is very cool. He is not taller than me yet. We stood side by side and we are about the same height. And that's kind of annoying because uh, he's only a teenager and I'm done growing. I'm not growing anymore. This is like, God's like, this is the height you're going to be. And uh, not so for my brother. Uh, This is my family. And I don't know about you, but we are so different than each other, like incredibly different than each other. There's not like a ton of similarities between the four of us. So I'm me. I don't need to talk about me. You know me. Uh, My sister, Emma, is uh, brilliant. She's super smart. So not like me at all. But um, she graduated top of her class from our, 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 the high school we went to, uh, got a scholarship to University of Virginia. She just graduated uh, the same year. Uh, she has got a full-time job for, um, you know, the people who run the ACT tests. She helps work for them. I'm like, you're working for the enemy. That's the worst. Um, 
And, and she's brilliant. She loves, she's obsessed with Taylor Swift. She's obsessed with the movie Cars from 2006. Yes, for some reason she loves it. And she likes the song Life is a Highway by Rascal Flatts a lot. That's my sister, Emma. My sister, Ellie. We're probably the m most similar out of me and the rest of my siblings. Um, she also just graduated this year. She did it in three years because she's also brilliant. Uh, and uh, she lives in North Carolina. She decided that she wanted to go to grad school and she's already teaching as a student teacher, as a freshman in grad school or as a first year grad school student. And so she's awesome, she's amazing. And uh, she loves to adventure, she loves hiking, she loves uh, all sorts of outdoor things. And my brother Owen, as much as I hate to admit it, is awesome, also brilliant, also really smart. And um, he is obsessed with sports. He speaks in sports. He talks in sports. Like everything in his life makes sense through the framework of sports. And it's awesome because we have a group chat um, called Ring the Bell, which is a reference to the Philadelphia Phillies. And we text each other every single day about how much we hate this baseball team, but how much we love this baseball team at the same time. We hate them because they frustrate. So he loves sports so incredibly much. And um, I've watched him be moved to tears multiple times this year as not once, not twice, but three times Philadelphia sports teams have lost in the prospective championship rounds. It's been a bummer, but it's okay. Um, so this is my family. And I don't know about you. You can take, this, you can take it off now. You don't want to look at me forever. But um, I don't know about you, but families... Uh, are awesome. You've got a support system. You have siblings. You've got um, people that are there for you. Uh, but families can be messy. I don't know uh, if you knew that, but families can be a little disorganized. Uh, families can be a little bit in need of the giving of grace constantly. Um, families can be full of conflict. Families can be full of disunity. Um, but there's something that still ties us together at the end of the day. No matter how different we are, no matter how uh, different our interests are, uh, we are united in the fact that we are a family. Um, that's something that we'll never be able to change. Um, I may never, and this won't happen, but if I were to never speak to them again for the rest of my life, they would still be my family. They would still be my brothers. They would still be my sisters, no matter what. And the truth is, God has designed us in such a way where we actually need this. We need family. We need a support of people all around us. We need the support of loving, not just brothers and sisters um, in our family, but in loving brothers and sisters in the family of God. And just as your immediate family might be full of chaos sometimes, there might be shouting, there might be you know, fighting over who gets to be player one on the Xbox, right? Is that a still a thing? Because that was a big thing when I was around. It was like, I'm the oldest, so I'm player one, or I'm going to turn off the game and start it again. And if you get it again, I'll also turn off the game again and start it again. So we're just going to keep doing this on player one. All this to say, um, just like families can have conflict, the family of God can have conflict. And just like the uh, families that you live with may have um, conflict from time to time, and uh, your siblings are in need of grace, the family of God will have conflict from time to time, and you will need to receive and give grace all the time. And the Bible is very clear on this, that you and I, as soon as we put our faith in Christ, are a part of a family, whether or not you like it or not. 
Whether or not you choose to engage or not, you have spiritual brothers and sisters, millions of them actually, because the same God that lives in you lives in them. It's really cool. And we have the opportunity to gather every single week here as a youth group, all living in the same general area, all um, falling under one roof to gather and to listen. And this group of people at Citizens Youth, we're a family of brothers and sisters. Uh, we're a community of students learning to live for Jesus. And sometimes that community can be messy. Um, I don't know if you've been in church for a while, but there will be people who walk in and out of those doors uh, that need extra grace. There will be days where you walk in these doors and you need extra grace. There will be moments where the very fabric of who we are is being challenged by something called disunity, uh, selfish desires, um, selfish passions, or uh, foolish quarrels, as the Bible likes to call it, or just petty things that are dumb. And the enemy would love nothing more than to let the people in this room fight each other so much that we can't be united on the things that matter. And the psalm we're going to read tonight is three verses. It's very short. There's a lot of really cool Old Testament symbolism, but it's all about one thing. It's all about God's family and the unity that God is trying to build in us. And as we start this new year, um, this is kind of a sermon that I want us to look back on and to remember. Uh, this is something that I want us to uh, listen to these words, not just for today, not just like learning something new and going home, uh, but something that we can apply to every single week moving forward, uh, to become more unified, uh, to become more like-minded in the things that matter, uh, to become more like Jesus. So without further ado, without further rambling, uh, Psalm 133. This is God's word. It says this, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. You could also say brothers or sisters or brothers and sisters in this case. It's talking about the people of God. So how good is it and pleasant is it when brothers and sisters dwell in unity? It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. When we are unified together in Christ, it's good for us, it's good for our church, it's good for our communities. And families are messy, but the call to unity is essential. So God, I pray that you'd be with us tonight as we're opening up your word. Um, I pray that we would uh, listen closely. I pray um, specifically for this message, um, I, and I pray this all constantly, but I ask, you know, humbly again one more time that this would not be my perspective or my opinion, but this would be uh, straight from your word and from your spirit. And anything else that isn't that would just get kind of tossed to the side because um, that's what we need. We need you. We need your spirit to unify us. And uh, all this I pray, God, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so usually we take a text, we work through it. We already read it. We've got two points tonight. We're looking at this passage from two different angles. First angle, uh, we see the blessings of unity. This passage is about how immensely beautiful it is when brothers and sisters in Christ get along together, which is easier said than done. The, the Bible uses, and David uses, a few different examples in this. He says, it's like the precious oil on the head that is running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, 
running down on the collar of his robes. Now, this is sometimes where we're tempted to read the Old Testament and we're tempted to read things like this and say, that's weird, right? Um, but if you do a little bit digger, like if you dig a little bit deeper in all these things, it is awesome to see exactly what God is communicating through these things. Um, so it's like the oil on the head running down the beard on the beard of Aaron. Uh, oil in the Bible, does anyone know what it represents? It represents a lot of things. It represents the actual presence of God. Um, it represents the blessings of God. It represents health. It represents um, joy. It represents the commissioning of a task. Um, so oil in the Bible is not like when you run to Costco today and you see like a 25 like gallon jar or whatever of Costco oil for like $6. It's not like that. Um, oil would have been this thing, a, a precious oil, a precious oil and perfume would have been immensely expensive. It would have been immensely hard to come by. And uh, this was used uh, for the commissioning of priests and kings and people who needed a blessing from God. You would anoint their head with oil. It's actually still commanded in the New Testament in James as well. Fun fact, don't know if you knew that. Um, but this represents the actual blessing of God. And who's Aaron? Does anyone know who Aaron is? Who knows who Aaron is? Which Aaron is this talking about? Is he related to someone else in the Bible? Moses? Correct. Awesome. Um, he was the first priest over uh, the people of Israel. He was commissioned by Moses to lead the people of Israel in a spiritual manner as a priest. And this is uh, calling back to that moment. He is anointed so much that it's dripping off of his head and his beard and onto his coat. Um, onto, it's so, so think of the beard on this guy, right? It's going down his beard onto his clothes. That's pretty impressive. The guy must have had a pretty sick beard. All this to say, the author is saying how good and how pleasant is it when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity? It's like the very presence of God is being poured out. It's like the blessings of God are directly present. Um, there's incredible blessing in being unified with your brother and sister. Um, there is something that you and I have as Christians that you can't find in the world. Something that we're all searching for, something that we're all looking for. Um, and that's real community. There are so often times in our life where we want to feel accepted, where we want to feel welcomed, when we want to feel blessed, but we know we can't unless we fit in, unless we act a certain way. But in the family of God, when you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, when you come into this community, you recognize Jesus as Lord, you are immediately welcomed into this community. You are, by the Holy Spirit, um, united together in a mysterious and beautiful way. And the psalmist here says, how beautiful is it when this happens? Um, how beautiful is it when the very presence and the blessing of God is upon us? And this is what it begins with here. Um, when brothers and sisters get along, the richness of this blessing is present. And this is a blessing. To be in a community of people who believe uh, the same things, to be in a community of people who want to watch you succeed, who want to watch you grow in sanctification, uh, this is a blessing. Uh, there's this book I read this week, which I thought this was a really cool point as well, that there's also the reality of the priesthood of all believers represented here in this verse. First Peter, I'll read this for you. First Peter chapter 2, verse 4. 
It says this, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, this is the part I want you guys to hear. You yourselves are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. When brothers and sisters dwell in unity, we recognized that there is this um, royal priesthood that uh, exists in all believers. What does that mean? It means that we don't have to go to um, an actual priest to have our sins absolved. Uh, Christ has done that, and the Holy Spirit lives and dwells inside of us. And when you're full of, in a room of people also filled with the Holy Spirit, this community has the power to look each other in the eyes and say, in the name of Jesus Christ, I want to remind you that you've been forgiven of these sins. Um, this didn't exist in the Old Covenant, so this is uh, an act actual image of, of a priest that was necessary in this, in this picture. But in the New Testament, in, in the era that we exist in, uh, it's just another beautiful picture here. Um, so if one really obscure Old Testament reference wasn't enough for you, how about another one? Does that sound good? Let's do it. Uh, it is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing of life forevermore. Okay, Hermon is a mountain. It is um, almost 10,000 feet. It's in uh, north of Israel. And uh, this is a really interesting way to say community is a blessing. So imagine that you're like going to church and then you go to school and someone's like, what is church like? And you're like, you know, the fresh morning dew on the grass. And they're like, yeah. And you're like, it's kind of like that. And they're like, cool. I won't be going to church with you. That sounds really strange. Um, <laughs> it's like oil on your beard and it's like dew from the mountains. And you're like, oh, I don't know what you do at the youth group, but um, something, something weird's going on in there. In the Middle East, it's very dry. Um, for many, many years, the people of God had no home to go to. Uh, for many, many years, they're wandering through the desert. The mountain dew in the morning would have been essential to life. It represents freshness. It represents cleanness. It represents uh, new realities, new possibilities, and it represents life. The water from the mountains, the water from the sky, it was necessary for harvesting crops, for growing food, and it gives life. So much so that the author, David, uses this illustration to connect that with community. Uh, community should be life-giving. The unity that comes with being in the family of God brings life, uh, brings joy, brings blessing. Uh, the community, when done right, when done effectively, when lived in, when um, uh, properly um, committed to, brings us life. Um, this is a new reality. This is a new way to live. And a healthy spiritual community will bless your life beyond belief. It'll bless your life beyond belief. The brotherhood and sisterhood that you can have in this room can and will bring you life because God loves unity in his family. It is something that's very valuable to him. It is very valuable to him. Um, your brothers and sisters in this room can offer prayer. Your brothers and sisters in this room can actually know you on a deep level, sin and all. It is a blessing to be a part of a family, but it's not easy. And this is where the sermon's gonna take a different angle. 
There's blessings of unity, yes, but there's also challenges of unity. There is a very real spiritual battle that goes on um, against unity. And so, yes, we've read the text. We see the blessings of it, but look at this first point again. It says, behold how good and how pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. There's a subtlety to this language here. You could read it and you could say, oh, the sermon's about like, you know, you got to be unified. You got to have the same mind. How good and how pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Do brothers always get along? Do sisters always get along? No. No. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it. no. Community is hard. Uh, unity in community is hard. There's a very real spiritual battle to try and get you isolated from community. And there's a very real spiritual battle that exists to try and get you and I to look at each other in this room and to try and get us to subtly dislike one another, uh, to subtly uh, quarrel with one another, to subtly bring up things that don't matter as much as the gospel and let those things define us instead. But how good and how pleasant it is when brothers and sisters get along. But it doesn't always happen. This phrase implies that it cannot always happen. And the Bible is actually full of a lot of stories of brothers not getting along so well. Siblings don't always agree. Sometimes your brother or sister will betray you. Sometimes they'll um, lie to you. Sometimes they won't have your back. Sometimes failure doesn't go well. Again, the Bible's full of these stories. Uh, the first and maybe the most famous example is the first brothers we see in the entire Bible, Cain and Abel. And Cain and Abel both offer sacrifices to God. Abel does it with the right heart, with the right attitude, with the right mindset, and Cain doesn't. God finds favor with Abel and not with Cain, not because God was just being mean that day or just randomly picked Abel. Uh, Abel had the right heart. Cain didn't. Uh, Cain, in his anger and rage and in his wrong heart that is fully revealed, kills his brother Abel. The very first brothers in history had some serious conflict. And Cain is, of course, the first murderer in history. Jacob and Esau, the trend continues. These are the people of God. These are the people that God continues to highlight throughout the story. Jacob and Esau. Uh, Esau gets his birthright stolen away from him, from Jacob, through a whole, like, kind of hilarious string of events. This causes almost this, like, civil war that happens. It does not go well. Joseph and his brothers, we learned about this, is at the end of Genesis. Um, look, I don't know if you've had conflict with your brother or sister. I don't know. Maybe they've stolen money away from you. Has this ever happened to you? You like check your bank account or you check like your piggy bank. I guess none of us have those anymore. But like you're like, I had $10 on my chair and now there's $0 and you have like candy in your hand now and you like put two together and you're like, my sister stole from me. What's going on? I don't know if you've ever been super mad at something that your brother or sisters has done, but I don't know if you've ever contemplated like selling them into like slavery like Joseph's brothers did, right? That would be awful and you wouldn't do that. So let's just say there's some real familial conflict in the Bible and of course, um, an ultimate betrayal. Peter, who's not the physical brother of Jesus, but one chosen by Jesus to fall after him and to be a spiritual brother denies Jesus in 
the moment of need. The reality is the sinfulness that exists inside all of us is challenging this call to be unified. And it happens today, and it happens in our ministry. And it needs to be called out. We need to talk about it. Because we need to address the reality that there are certain things that need to define us more than other things. And when Christ is above everything else, that is the solution to disunity that exists in the world. Uh, the word unity is thrown out on campaign slogans, on bumper stickers, in kind of new age, like uh, thinking, like we just need to be unified, ma'am. And all of those things is like new age, new agey philosophy um, disguised with Christian words, like unity. Um, it's not real unity because true unity is only found when you and I are united together under Jesus Christ. So the reality is we're sinful. The reality is we um, have selfish desires. We have selfish opinions. We think that more highly of ourselves than we should. And we allow these things to um, infiltrate our lives to the point where we um, refuse unity. So how can we build unity in this room? How can we build unity in our small groups? How could we build unity uh, every single Wednesday night? And I think that the very best passage addressing this reality, the best passage potentially in, in all of Scripture about how you and I can get together along as brothers and sisters in a very possible way through the power of the Holy Spirit is found in Philippians chapter 2. And this has been read over and over again, probably. If you don't have it memorized, you absolutely should. And Paul makes this really, really strict call in Philippians chapter 2 to be unified under the same thing, to be defined by one thing, to allow one thing to define your life so much that everything else kind of falls to the wayside, which would allow me and you and every single person in this room to get along a little bit better. And that's the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. He says this, you can throw it on the screen. It says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation from my spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. How good is it when brothers dwell in unity, in this mentality? How good is it when sisters dwell together in unity because of this mentality? So how can we build unity? One, it's increased humility. How can we build uh, healthy unity in this group? Real practical here tonight. Uh, one, it's increased humility. Um, my opinion about things in the world isn't the same thing as the gospel. All right, my opinion about politics, my opinion about like media, my opinion about um, 
my opinion about some hot topic that's trending these days, um, that's one thing. And then there's the gospel of Jesus. And with more and more humility, do you know the Bible actually never says be humble? Did you know that? It doesn't ever say, hey, guess what? You should be humble. No, it says humble yourself because it's an action because all of us struggle with pride. And when we humble ourselves, our opinions don't matter as much as the gospel. Our opinions will never matter as much as the gospel. How else can we increase humility? Practically, um, your interests are more important than mine. When we walk in a room like this, when I fully believe what this passage is saying is uh, your interests, what you're passionate about, what you need, what you desire is more important to me than what I need. Um, that's humility. That's practical humility. And as we uh, humble ourselves, we will grow more in unity when we look towards other people as more important. And I'm not the most important person in the room. Others are. When we have an increased humility in Christ, we become more unified together. Uh, we become more unified together. And number two, we have a common focus. This is really what I've been hinting at this whole time. It says, it says has, have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So Jesus humbles himself. And again, in verse two, it says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, same love, being in full accord and of one mind. We have to have a common focus. Unity is only truly possible when you have the same focus. And in the, our major convictions, we embrace this and we focus in on this. And that's the gospel of Jesus. That's the reality that sin is real. I sin. I need a solution to my sin. We believe there's a savior named Jesus. He died on the cross. He rose again. And when you put your faith in him, you will be forgiven of your sins and you'll live with him not just forever one day, but starting right now. That is what we need to focus on. And when we do, everything else kind of falls to the wayside. Everything else that the world says is defining you, is important to you, doesn't matter as much as the gospel, if it's truly our common focus. And only then, and only then, can we be known for what we love rather than what we hate. Um, Christians constantly in the New Testament, are called to rally together under the love of Christ, not rally around the sin of the world or the dislike of the sin of the world. Um, Christians are kind of like Star Wars fans. They're way more known for what they don't like about Star Wars than what they love about Star Wars. Like you'll meet a Star Wars fan, they're like, oh, here's all this content I hate about Star Wars. And you're like, but I thought you liked the series, right? Uh, Christians could be like that too. Well, here's what I think about uh, people who are transgender. Here's what I think about gay people. Here's what I think about Democrats. Here's what I think about Republicans. And it becomes this long list of things that we despise. But what about what we love? What about the person that we love? Isn't that the most important? And in and through that, when we have that love, when we have that thing in common, and I'm not saying sin isn't real, and I'm not saying those things aren't sins in some degree, shape, or form. I am saying that we need to be known for what we love rather than what we don't love. We need to be rallied together under the same mind, having the same mind as Jesus, which is humility, which is service, which is love. When you hear sermons about unity, sometimes it almost sounds like a brainwashing sermon, like here's all the things to believe, and I just completely don't agree with that. Um, healthy unity is not a few things. Uh, healthy unity is not total conformity. 
believe this or else. And this is really tricky sometimes because you can have someone walk in this room who disagrees with you politically, who disagrees with you on a certain issue, and you don't need to completely conform to the same reality. Um, I believe that there's things you should be divided on. If they don't believe Jesus is Lord, I'd, I believe you should disagree with them and all love. And I believe that that's something worth ending relationships for. I believe that's something worth dividing churches for. But that's about it, the Lordship of Christ. Um, unity isn't total conformity. You don't have to look just like me, have my same political opinions, which I don't share publicly, right? You don't have to have my same style or background or um, you don't have to have all that. But in order for you and I to be unified, what do we need? We just need Jesus. We just need that in common. And we have the whole, same Holy Spirit inside of us. Um, healthy unity is not conflict avoidant. Never, ever challenge one another. I think healthy unity can have healthy conflict. I think healthy um, uh, ministries can have conflict that pop up and we deal with it in a loving and challenging manner. I think that's totally quite possible. Um, I believe healthy unity is never total conformity or is completely conflict avoidance. But how is this unity possible? How is it possible for brothers and sisters to dwell in unity? It is only possible through Christ. And the people who don't know Jesus yet aren't going to be perfect. They may uh, not think the same way. They may not believe the same things, but we can be known for our love for Christ so much that it compels others to follow. It's quite possible. And it's actually what Jesus prays for in John chapter 17. There's a beautiful picture of Jesus praying to God in a very, very long, uh, beautiful high priestly prayer. And this is where we can end tonight. This is from John chapter 17. A lot of cross-references, but it's a, a three-verse psalm, so it happens. This is John chapter 17, verse 21. This is Jesus, Savior of the world, praying for God the Father about you and me and the disciples. It says this, I pray that they may all be one, just as you, Father, and I are one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be even as one as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and that you loved him even as you loved me. Uh, this is the heart of Jesus. This is the heart of Jesus for you and I to be united, uh, for you and I to be together, inseparable, um, and it would be fighting against devil, the devil and the forces of hell themselves when you and I decide, you know what? We are not going to be split up on this issue. We're going to rally together behind the gospel, and we're going to choose that above everything else. It would be a total, uh, just completely pushing back on the uh, current cultural moment of this age that says, be defined by all of these things, or like lose friends, split up. Like, it doesn't matter. You have to believe these things. Uh, the Bible isn't even that dogmatic about our current age and our current culture, about what they're forcing us to try and believe in order to be unified. We just need Christ. 
We just need his spirit. And it is only possible when you and I submit to him. This isn't something that we can work on without the help of the spirit. This isn't something that just happens tomorrow. You preach one sermon and you come back and you're like, the youth group's completely unified. But this is something that we're gonna have to work on. This is something that's going to take time. But we need to be defined by this, by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because when we're unified in Jesus, it's good for us, it's good for our church, and it's good for our community. Uh, the gospel constantly unites, unifies God's family. The gospel constantly unifies God's family. And look, I preach about, I can preach about unity and oftentimes be the force for disunity in my life. It's possible. Pastors fall victim to it as well. So maybe there's a moment where you need to look back and you need to reflect on the last few weeks or the last few months of your life. And you should ask yourself, am I being defined by things that aren't gospel? Um, am I being a divisive person by allowing my perspective or my opinion to reign above the truth of God's word? Am I willing to be a humble servant just like Christ was? And as I do that, allow my love for Christ be the thing that unifies me to my brother and sister. Or am I going to let the spirit of the age, am I going to let this current cultural moment, am I going to give in to this um, disunification? Am I going to give in to this um, desire to combat one another? Or am I going to follow Christ? Am I going to um, completely revolt against this and live and dwell in unity? It's a challenge that you and I have to take on. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head running down the beard on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. You and I are blessed and we have life when we choose to be unified, when we choose to be together for the sake of the gospel, there is life and life forevermore. So turn, if you haven't already, embrace Christ as Lord. He will save you from your sins and you will be embraced into a family forever with life forevermore. This is something we're going to work on together. And I promise to listen. I promise to be a part of that promise or to be a part of that process. Um, I promise to be alongside of you, to encourage you and to encourage us and to constantly remind us and our leaders that there's one thing really at the end of the day we're working for. And if it's not, we need to know that. Um, it is good and it is, it is, is wonderful when people dwell in unity. Let's pray together. God, we love you. Thank you for this time. Uh, I pray again, um, even as we close, that the words uh, that you um, bring forth to us that yeah, your spirit would uh, allow us to sift through um, what is good and what is best. And what is best is your name and uh, your gospel. Uh, God, we're thankful that the Bible is so clear, even from the Old Testament, about uh, what a blessing it is to be together in love. Um, I pray that you and I would, um, I pray that you, Lord, would allow us to see um, and, and kind of in a spiritual sense, moments where we are 
uh, drifting towards division or we're drifting closer to um, being ununited than united. And um, God, I just pray for um, us this school year as we're coming up through um, whatever, whatever you have for us this year. We don't know what the world's gonna uh, give us. We don't know what the um, school year will bring. But I pray that when uh, there's difficulty, when there's tragedy, when there's heartache, uh, that we would know that there's a family to rely on. Uh, that there's a family that isn't perfect. There's a family with conflict. There's a family with um, moments of uh, low moments. But I pray that you would purify that family and unify that family in your name alone. Um, we pray this all in Jesus, your precious name. Amen.